Today we are beginning a brand new series on the life of the and Jim. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah, so we're starting a brand new series today on the life of the Apostle Paul, and uh, this is really a continuation of basically the last year as we've been going sort of chronologically through the Bible. Last week we were down on the floor, we were there in the round, and we discovered the, the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus had been resurrected, and the Spirit came with power, and, and the disciples who had once been very, very uh, timid and, and fearful, they were now powerfully proclaiming the name of Jesus. 3,000 people get saved on that day. And it's just amazing as this new thing that we now call Christianity, they called it the way, it just really took off. And they were basically saying, look, this guy Jesus that you guys killed, he came back from the dead and he has the power to forgive your sin. He has the power to give you a brand new life and a fresh start. That didn't go over so well. And so great persecution broke out there in the early church and those early church leaders they started to get arrested. Some of them were stoned. Great persecution. And there's this historian, his name is Luke, and he's looking back at all this. Later on, he's writing about what had happened in that day and time, and, and he lets us know that Luke chapter 7, that the, the very first Christian martyr was a man by the name of Stephen. Now, how many of you have like, watched all the Avenger movies? Not like just the Avengers, but then all the characters. Have you seen? Like, yeah, a couple nerds. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, if you've seen any of those types of uh, movies, they always, at the very end of the movie, they sort of, after the credits, they have another extra scene, and it's sort of showing what the next character is going to be or what the next storyline is going to be. And, and remember, what Luke is doing here is he's writing this about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, and then in some cases, you know, uh, just a couple years after these things that actually uh, happened that were sort of later in the book of Acts. And so there in Acts 7, when he talks about this first Christian martyr, Stephen, he puts in a little extra detail. It's almost like he's given a preview of things that are yet to come. Here, here's what he writes in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Those who stoned Stephen took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man by the name of what? A young man by the name of, of Saul. Saul had grown up in a very, very wealthy household. He was educated. He had everything that he could possibly need. And the thing you need to understand about Saul was he had a love and a devotion to God's word. He was zealous for God. He wanted only what God wanted. And so when this man by the name of Jesus had come onto the scene, Saul saw Jesus as someone that was just absolutely opposite of everything that God wanted. Saul hated Jesus. And so when Saul heard that Jesus had been arrested and then crucified, he probably breathed a sigh of relief. The good, this nuisance is gone. But now all of a sudden... Some of Jesus' followers are going, no, 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 the Jesus that you killed, he's back. He's alive again, and he has the power to forgive sin. He, he is God in the flesh. He can give you a fresh start and a brand new life. The Saul, this is blasphemy. You, you can't be saying that. 
And in Saul's mind, he's like, somebody needs to squash this rebellion. Somebody needs to do something about these followers of the way. And eventually it hits Saul. I'm the person that needs to do it. And so we'll pick up the story then in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now think about this, what, what we just read there. Not only does he want to kill followers of Jesus, Luke records he was eager to kill them. He is so passionate about this that he decides to take the show on the road. He, he wants to go to another country, into Syria, to the city of Damascus, to arrest people there. But he isn't going to kill them right there. He wants to drag them back to Jerusalem in chains, and then we'll deal with them. Basically, he wants to parade them before all the Jewish people saying, look, if you keep following this Jesus, We've got more chains. We've got more crosses. The same thing that happened to him was going to happen to you. We will kill you if you keep this up because this is blasphemy against God. <laughs> he wants to go to another country. This is like you going, I'm going to go to Canada and arrest some people and drag them back to Harrisburg so we can kill them. I mean, literally, that, he's traveling long distances because he is so zealous for the things of God. And he needs to squash this rebellion of Jesus and his followers. Verses 3 and 4. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the voice of Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul was persecuting the church, wasn't he? But yet Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And what we need to realize is that Jesus sees himself and the church as one. At one point, Jesus calls the church his bride. And if you think about a wedding ceremony, what do pastors, myself, Nate, or anybody else, what do we do when we marry somebody? We, we basically say something to this effect at some point, that a man shall leave his father and mother and be united as what? As one with his wife. And then what God has brought together as one, let no man separate. And so there's this, this whole concept that, that we understand it, that, that a husband and a wife, they become one. And Jesus says, the church is my bride. I am one with my bride. And so if you're persecuting my bride, then you are persecuting me. There is no difference between Jesus and the church. You can't hate one and, and love the other. This would be like you saying to me, Gilbert, I really like you. I love spending time with you, but I hate Lisa. I don't want to have anything to do with her. Hey, it doesn't work that way. We're a package deal. If you love me, then you're going to love her. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, the, the, the church, this is my bride. We are one. And so Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Now, I bring this up because we're hearing more and more in our society people going, you know what, I love Jesus, I just hate the church. And so I don't want to have anything to do with the church. I want all the benefits of Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Have you heard that? Friends, coworkers, neighbors, people were saying this. I, I, I love Jesus. I, I just hate the church. Again, you can't have it both ways. If, if you're going to love Jesus, then you have, to, you have to be a part of a church. And even, even more and more Christians are going, you know, I don't know that I actually need to be in church all the time. You know, I'll, I'll attend when it's convenient for me. Jesus says that we're to gather together on a weekly basis as his bride, as his church. Church attendance is not an optional thing that I do if it happens to be convenient and uh, the, the weather's not good, so I'll go out and do my thing outside because, you know, it's, it's the spring now and stuff. This is his bride. And he wants you to, to come in and, and be a part. You know, every time you're missing in some way, this, this body is hurting because we're, we're missing a vital part, you. And so he wants you to come in and, and to not just be a consumer either. He wants you to be a, a contributor and, and, and serve and, and get involved and, and to give. And, and not just even on Sundays. We are the church all week long. We are his bride, his hands and his feet to the community all week long. And so again, you can't say that, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, or I love Jesus, but I'm going to like worship him and, and stuff how I feel like it and when I feel like it. Now, a lot of people are like, I can worship God anywhere. Well, true, you can. We can worship God anywhere at any time. But again, he has called us to gather together as this thing called the church. Some of you are going, Gilbert, sometimes I'm embarrassed by like the overall church culture. Well, guess what? Jesus is embarrassed by the overall church culture sometimes too. But yet he still chooses to identify with his bride. And so if Jesus still chooses to identify with his bride that embarrasses him, and by the way, we are a part of that, right? That we mess up, we sin. Jesus is embarrassed by that, but yet he still wants to have a relationship with us. So if he's willing to identify with, with the bride, then we need to be willing to identify with the bride as well. Verses 5 and 6. Who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus, the Lord answered. I am the one you are so cruel to. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what to do. Now something very interesting happens here. Because Jesus has come and he's told him, I am Jesus and, and, and you've been persecuting me. You've been persecuting my church. And Saul hears that voice clearly and he knows that Jesus is speaking. But look at verse 7. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. You ever had those situations where, like, 
you're in your home and, and your spouse or your kids or whatever, they, they like say something from another room and you heard them, but you didn't actually hear them. You understand what I'm saying? You heard noise and you know that they were trying to communicate to you, but you didn't understand what they were saying. And so you yell out, I, 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 I didn't hear you. Well, you, you did hear, you, you just didn't understand. And something similar is happening here with these guys. The, these men, they're, they're there, and it says that they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone. And, and what I think is happening here is the same thing that happens a lot of times with us. You know, you'll see somebody that they come into a relationship with Jesus, and they've been a part of a group of friends that they are all reading the same books, they all heard the same sermons, they all had the same questions about God, and they had been discussing it. But one person suddenly hears the voice of Jesus, and they know that it's Jesus, and they respond to his voice, and they come into a relationship with him, and everybody else is going, I didn't hear that. It's just a bunch of noise. And so I find it amazing here in this story. Saul hears the, the voice of Jesus. I am Jesus. And the rest of the guys, they're like, all right, we heard something, but we didn't really understand what was going on. Verses 8 and 9. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could not see a thing. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I want you to think about what's happening here. Saul, who had thought of himself as this mighty man of God, was now humbled. Saul, who thought he saw God's plan, is now blinded and needs to be led by the hand by his friends. Saul, who had seized others and, and put them in chains, is now seized by the love and the grace of Jesus. Saul, who had broken other people like a hammer, is now himself broken by the love and compassion of God. Saul became, on that day, a follower of Jesus. And soon after, he would change his name to the, the Greek version of Saul, which is Paul. And Paul means small and humble. That, that's what it literally means, the, the name Paul, small and humble. So Saul the mighty becomes Paul the small. He had changed. It wasn't about him anymore. It was all about chip with Jesus. Verses 10 to 12 then. A follower named Ananias lived in Damascus, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias uh, answered, Lord, here I am. Get up and go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and when you get there, you will find a man named Saul from the city of Tarsus. Saul is praying, and he has seen a vision. He saw a man named Ananias coming to him and, and putting his hands on him so that he could see again. Now, right away, Ananias is like, cool, God is going to use me to go and lay hands on somebody, and, and they're blind, and they're going to like have sight and everything. Like This is like Jesus. And then he's like, wait, 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 wait. Did you say Saul from Tarsus? Because I've heard, I've heard things about him. I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. 
I mean, this would be like God like in 2002 or so. Coming to you and saying, hey, I need you to run down the sheets, pick up a guy. His name is uh, Osama bin Laden. You'll notice he's like a tall guy. He's got like a turban and a, a nice beard, right? I need you to, to pick him up and he's going to stay at your house. And be like, no, I'm not doing that. And so that's what's happening here with Ananias. He's like, God, I, 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 I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. In fact, look at verses 13 and 14. And Ananias replied, Lord, a lot of people have told me about the terrible things that this man has done to your followers in Jerusalem. Now the chief priests have given him the power to come here and arrest anyone who worships in your name. Now isn't it amazing how often God is clearly speaking to us and we know that it's him, we even acknowledge that it's him, and we still argue with him? We still question him? Ananias is like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, I'm sure I'm God. <laughs> you know, uh, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Go, go do this. Why are you questioning me here? We do that sometimes, don't we? We know God's speaking, but we still question. Verses 15 and 19. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, I have chosen him to tell foreigners, kings, and the people of Israel about me. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for the hard suffering that goes with this job. Ananias left and went into the house where Saul was staying. Ananias placed his hands on him and said, Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. He is the same one who appeared to you along the road. And he wants you to be able to see and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly something like fish scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see. He got up and he was baptized. Saul had been physically blind, and, and now he's able to see, but I think that there's something greater that was happening. See, he was spiritually blind, but now he could see. And the greatest thing that can happen for any one of us here today, or anybody that's listening to this podcast, is to recognize that at some point in life, all of us were spiritually blind. All of us could not see the impact that sin has in our lives. All of us were, were going against the will of God, what God would have for us to do. All of us viewed God at some point as just this mean, angry Grinch in the sky that doesn't want me to have any fun and he wants to control my life instead of seeing him as the good, good father that we just sang about. And at some point, and, and it happened for me on July 27, 93, and, and for many of you it's happened that all of a sudden you realize, I'm blind. I can't see. And you pray and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you ask Him to take control of your life, to be the leader of your life, and all of a sudden, you could see like you had never seen before. And for some of you that are here today, you, you've never come to that place. You, you're still in spiritual blindness, and I want to encourage you, the greatest thing that you can do in life is to start a relationship with Jesus to ask for his forgiveness, ask for his leadership. Give him full control of your life because he's got a better plan for your life than you even have for your own life. And for all of us that are here today, once, once we've, we've made that transaction with him and we, we've asked for his forgiveness, we've asked for his leadership, 
there's sort of some things that will start to happen. Your life is changed. Your life is transformed. And, and there's some certain characteristics, some signs that, okay, yes, those scales have fallen off of my eyes. And so that's what I want to take the remainder of today's message to look at is three ways, three characteristics that you can know that, yes, my spiritual eyes have been opened. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. And that is that my sense of wonder and amazement that God saved me will grow more and more. Billy Graham, the, the great evangelist, once said it this way. He said, the longer I'm a Christian, the more sinful I realize I am. Now, if there was anybody that was growing closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus every day, it was Billy Graham. But yet, he himself said, the closer I grow to him, the more I realize my need for him. Because the closer I get to seeing his perfection, the more I see my imperfection. And, and so what should happen is in those moments that as we go through our, our Christian life, we should be more and more amazed that God would save somebody like me. And that's what happens with, with Paul. And as we continue through his story over the next couple of weeks, both through uh, the stories that are told about Paul and then the, the, the letters that Paul himself writes, we're going to see that this is a, a reoccurring theme with Paul, that he's going, do you know who I was? I was a murderer. I was out killing followers of Jesus. But yet Jesus, in his love and his grace and his mercy, he still chose to forgive me. And basically what he's going to say to each and every one of us is it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You are not beyond the forgiveness of God. That you can leave that old life behind and you can start a brand new life and get a fresh start right here and right now. And so we need to stand amazed at his grace. And every day we should realize more and more our need for him and our dependence on him. See, I think sometimes the mistake that we make as followers of Jesus is we measure our spiritual success or, or maturity as we look around at other people. We're like, okay, I'm ahead of them, so I must be, well, don't do that, right? That's pride. Even worse, I think, is when we have some sort of inward standard that we've set for ourselves, then we go, okay, this is what I think I need to do to be right with God. Here's, here's the standards that I need to have. Paul at one point says, look, that's how I used to be. In fact, let, let's read it together. Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. And this was back when he was Saul. He says, look, I, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. See, as as you get more and more spiritually mature, you should be depending more on him. And I I think a lot of times we do the, the opposite. We go, oh, look at me, I'm more loving than I used to be. I have more joy than I used to have. I have more patience. I'm kinder than I used to be. And we start to think, I don't need to depend on God quite as much because look at who I am now. But see, the opposite should be true. Again, the closer you get to Jesus, yes, it's great that he's changing you and transforming you, but the more you should realize that, wow, there's a lot of other stuff in me that he needs to root out and change. Again, the closer you get to him, the more sinful you should realize you truly are. Because at, at the beginning of your Christianity, it's easy to clean up the outside stuff. But what he wants to do is get deep down inside and root out all of that. The jealousy, the rage, the envy, the bitterness, the pride. All right, everybody, go ahead. Bless you, Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> there was smatterings of blessings going on there, so we want to bless you. <laughs> Although we found out while we were on vacation that uh, Lisa uh, can remind me that they, uh, why did they say that? It was because they thought that people were about to die. Uh, it originally came out, I guess, over in Europe or something, and they thought that they were going to die, and they're like, well, bless you, because you're about to go, all right? <laughs> so when we were out in California with her uh, family, we decided to, uh, instead of, after sneeze, doing a bless you, we were giving a live long and prosper, right? So, <laughs> all right, now who's the nerd, right? <laughs> Thank you, Nate. <laughs> anyway. I, I got to yeah, get back on track here. Where was I? <laughs> yeah, so it's not, about, it's not about you depending on Jesus less. It's about you depending on him more. Becoming amazed by his grace. And I remember I had only been a Christian for a couple years when it suddenly dawned on me that even if I had been the only sinner ever in all of humanity Jesus would have still come and died for me and the same is true for you that's how much he loves you he died in your place and we need to be amazed by that number two my life will become more and more transparent and that's what happens with with Paul here Instead of wearing a mask and pretending to be somebody that he isn't, that, oh, look at me, I'm now this super Christian. He, many times he, he writes things about himself. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He's, he's writing to his disciple, a guy by the name of Timothy, and he says, here's a word that you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could have never made it apart from the sheer mercy of God. 
He says, man, look at, look at me. There was nobody that sinned more than me. And he didn't put on a mask and try to pretend to be somebody he wasn't. That's being hypocritical. He's just like, here's who I am. Here's who I was. Here's who I am now. But even in that, Paul was constantly admitting that, hey, I still wrestle. I still make mistakes. I still have faults. Romans chapter 7, he, he talks about his struggles with this. Uh, look at Romans chapter 7, uh, verses 14 to 15. He says, the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Again, instead of being a hypocrite and, and trying to say, look at me, I'm Paul, I'm super Christian and stuff. He's like, look at me. I'm saved by God's grace, but... I'm still a sinner. I still struggle. I'm a work in progress. I still need Jesus as my Savior. And you know, that's what I want for you is to have transparency in your life. Because when we're not being transparent, we call those things secrets. And secrets can destroy your life. I got a call from Nate on Friday. It was my day off. And I, I won't get into all the, the details of it, but he shared with me, he's like a close friend of ours, a, a man that we greatly respect, had just been arrested for child pornography. A guy that for many years that people looked up to as this, this great man of God and, and he's, he, we, we can't discount the, the, the ways that God has used him to further the kingdom. But his life is now going to be drastically different because he had this secret sin that he was keeping. He wasn't being transparent with his struggles. And so all of us here today, we, we need a couple people in our lives that we can just say, here I am, all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you're married, obviously your spouse should be one of those people. But it's got to go beyond just your spouse. Guys, you need another guy in your life that you can just lay it all out before. Ladies, same way. You need a lady. It's in your life that can speak the hard truths to you. Somebody that you can go to and confess your sins to them. Share, hey, this, this is what's going on in my life. There were three great leaders in the early church, Paul being one, Peter another. And then the third one, the, the actual leader of the church of Jerusalem was Jesus' brother, a guy by the name of James. And he says this in James 5.16, If you have sinned, you should tell each other what you have done, and then you can pray for one another and be healed. The prayer of an innocent person is powerful, and it can help a lot. 
So I want to encourage you, be 100% transparent. Not with everybody, but you've got to have a couple people. And that's proof that your spiritual eyes truly have been opened because you've taken off the mask and said, I'm just a sinner that needs to be saved by grace. Number three then, my graciousness and generosity will grow. Remember at the beginning of today's message, Saul hated Christians. He was persecuting Christians. He was killing the Christians. But then because of God's love and grace and mercy, he is transformed into a new person and he eventually becomes Paul, the guy that writes 1 Corinthians 13, which is our definition that we have of love. Love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That this guy who had so much hatred and pride in his life is the one that we now look to his words of, okay, what is the definition of love? His graciousness had grown. This man who was so eager to murder his fellow Jews later on in his life says this about his fellow Jews. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 3. I would gladly be placed under God's curse and be separated from Christ for the good of my own people. In other words, at one point in life, he was like, you people can die and go to hell. And now he's saying, you know what? I would die and go to hell if it meant more and more of my people could know the goodness of Jesus and a relationship with him. We'll see this throughout this whole series that Paul is constantly putting his own life on the line so that other people might live. And we're going to see that Paul is so generous with his time and his talent, his abilities, and his money. He lives a sacrificial lifestyle, a very generous lifestyle. We should do the same. That's a mark that your spiritual eyes have been opened. You know, Saul's story of conversion from a hater of Christians, a murderer of Christians, to the great Apostle Paul, it is an amazing story. I want you to think about it. His conversion and his amazing story is just one of now billions of stories like that. In the last 2,000 years, a couple billion people now have experienced the same love and grace and mercy that Saul experienced that day on the road to Damascus. Some stories are not very dramatic. I mean, I think of my wife Lisa. She was eight years old when she was in her bedroom and recognized, I'm a sinner. Now, how much sin have you really done as an eight-year-old, right? <laughs> but yet she recognized the voice of Jesus. I was older. I was in my early 20s. I had done some sin. And Jesus came and he saved me. Jesus saved you. Everybody's story is different. But I want to share with you one more. The guy's name was John Newton. And John Newton actually, uh, he grew up with a mother that loved Jesus with all of her heart. And she taught young John from an early age the word of God. But at the age of seven, when John was seven, his mom died. His father was not a follower of Jesus. And so John quickly sort of started following his father's footsteps. And by the age of 11, he was a sailor, just like his father. 
just a couple years later, John Newton became a slave trader. He was going back and forth from Europe to Africa, just trading slaves, and he brutally treated them. I mean, just heinous things that he was doing. At one point, John Newton actually himself was captured and was enslaved by pirates. And for a while, he was living as a slave until eventually he got rescued. Now, you would think that after that, he knows what it means to be a slave now, that he'd be like, I can't continue to do this to other people, but guess what? He just went right back to his old lifestyle. But then one day on one of the voyages, a big storm came up. In fact, it was so severe that the captain of the ship got blown overboard and drowned. And it looked like nobody was going to live. It was in that moment one of the shipmates used the, the, the Lord's name in vain. And it suddenly hit him. The, the, the Spirit started speaking to him and, and started giving him back all these things that his mother had taught him as a child. He remembered them all, and he's like, that isn't right. And he cried out, he said, Jesus, Lord, if you'll get me back to the shore safely, I promise I will follow you for all the days of my life. Sure enough, they made it back. And that, that confession in the midst of the storm and the trials and the tribulation, it was real. John Newton gave his whole life over to Jesus. He eventually became a pastor. And one day as he was sitting there at his desk, he sat down and he wanted to reflect on his life. And he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Saul was blinded. We have been blinded. But the good news is that Jesus came to forgive us, to, to set us free, to take those scales off of our eyes so that we can see more clearly than we ever seen before. Let each and every one of us either come into a relationship with Jesus today or hopefully grow in our relationship with him. By just being amazed by his grace. Becoming more and more transparent. All of us. Don't ever, ever, ever allow just the significance of the cross and the significance of your own conversion to become stale, to become just yet another story. Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. And again, I don't care what you've done in the past. All I care is what are you going to do in the future? Are you going to completely sell out to Jesus and give your whole life to him like Saul did? Again, we're going to look at his story over the coming weeks. And you're going to see somebody that was just so grateful that he's saying, look, Jesus gave up his life for me. Now I'm going to give my life back to him. 
That's what I want for you as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us even in our sinfulness. And you loved us enough to to die on the cross and, and take the penalty of our sin upon yourself so that we could have not just an abundant life right here and right now, but eternal life with you forever. That's how much a relationship with us meant to you is that you gave up your one and only son. And Lord, we, we're just so inspired by the, the, the story of Saul that he had done such evil and, and terrible things, but yet you still not only forgave him, but, but chose him to, to be a difference maker in the world. And so help each and every one of us to realize that we're not beyond your grace. And that you can use us no matter what our past looks like. Just help us never to take that for granted. Help us to every day wake up and just be more and more amazed by your love and your grace and your mercy. Help us just to fully submit ourselves to you. To like Saul say, okay, Jesus, you you gave up your life for me, and so I'm going to give my life back to you. So what is it that you want me to do? Where is it that you want me to go? What is it you want me to say? What is it you want me to give? Because I'll do it. Lord, I'd be remiss if I didn't take a moment just to pray for the friend of Nate and I. Not only for him, that he would truly repent of his sin and confess everything that has happened, not just to you, but to the authorities as well. Lord, again, we, we know that nothing is beyond your forgiveness, and so we, we pray for forgiveness uh, for him and we especially pray for his family that have been devastated by this news as their father and, and grandfather, their friend and, and brother and uh, uncle. and I mean, just everything's different now. And so I pray for them in the coming days and weeks and months and even years that you would give them grace and mercy and peace. Lord, I pray for Nate and myself and other pastors that are friends with this guy that we would be able to just listen to your voice and be able to minister to him and and the family in any way that we can and that all of us, all of us, pastor or not, would just become more and more transparent in our lives because we're better together and secrets are just going to destroy So, Lord, I pray that each and every person that's here would find that one or two or three people that they can just lay it all out before and say, here's who I am. And in those moments, as we hear maybe some things that could be shocking, that, that our initial reaction would be to, to love them and to pray for them, to encourage them, to, to uh, rebuke them, give them a good kick in the butt in whatever way we need to. Lord, your, your word says that we need to be iron sharpening iron. And the two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his brother can be there to help him back up. 
So Lord, none of us are going to be able to stand perfectly all the days of our life. So we need those people that can be there as a true friend to pick us up and not just wink at our sin, but to confront us with our sin and to help us to get away from our sin, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that is full of love and grace and mercy and compassion. In other words, Jesus, help us to be just as you are. Thank you, Jesus, again, for your forgiveness. We ask all this in your precious name.